Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Lovely stuff. Ooh, that was like, I that know, was like stereo class. Like, oh. We're recording this podcast remotely, and that usually means that there's a little bit of lag, but sometimes the universities, the universities, the universities collide and mean that we can sync things up. I mean, the university of content. Yes, the, for the content kings. But I'm Scott Taylor, that's you and Patterson. How are you doing? Hey, hey, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's a very busy day, very, you know, very sort of uh, bringing all the content together kind of day. Um, but there's very many things to get to uh, in regards to the gaming industry, various news points, talking points. A follow up to something that we already talked about last week. Um, you know, when we were recording the news on could there be a Last of Us 2 remaster? And I said, as we were recording, it's probably going to drop as we're recording it. It dropped later that day. Such is such is the way, such is the way that things tend to happen in this life. Um, but you and Patterson, there's another ridiculous broken video game and I started looking into this a little bit I started thinking there must be something going on and it became one of those like old school movie 90s movie reveals where it's like, it goes all the way to the top and it's been going on for quite some time um, this game I'm talking about is The Walking Dead Destiny it's only released on the 17th only released last week um, but it comes from Flux Studio these are a dev um, that are known for various sort of small scale games they did the Cobra Kai games which I know have their fans I wasn't a huge fan of the you know original game um, but still it felt like they were taking a stab at something bigger like this idea of you taking the first four seasons of The Walking Dead and the Destiny's game is all about remixing the story it's about picking all these different branching paths and going from there seemed really really cool um, I know that our own uh, beloved Josh Brown was looking forward to it even though it still looked a little bit spotty back when it was first shown um, however this game is published by Game Mill Entertainment now that name will already um, send some negative ructions throughout the audience because apparently they've got a hell of a reputation already anyway um, but the thing that, that um, came from this came from looking into it is that Game Mill were also the publisher on the Kong Island the, the Rise of Kong Skull Island game which was already holding the baton for the worst game of 2023 now they're also behind something else that I'm going to get to um, and there's quite a lot of stuff to sort of break down here but I think in regards to The Walking Dead and Skull Island um, there's already been a deep dive into what happened with Skull Island various conversations with the developers anonymous sources um, so they could you know maintain anonymity across the board um, but that game the Skull Island game was apparently only in development for a year according to IGN and apparently between 1 to 20 people at any given time were working on it and that was because because Game Mill, the publisher, um, denoted that they only had one year to turn it around. Apparently they're known for this. Um, it's mentioned in the write-up by The Verge as well. Um, and the developer of the Skull Island Rise of Kong game is Iguana Bee, um, known for various other titles as well. But apparently this one-year turnaround is Game Mill's thing, um, which you know we don't know for sure if that's the case with The Walking Dead, but I feel like because they're kind of known for it, um, it feels like you know some sort of development rush was put into place to get The Walking Dead over the finish line. Um, I mentioned something else in here as well, which is the Avatar Quest for Balance game. 
I don't know if you're an Avatar fan, but that game finally came out this year. It retells the story, retells the, um, I don't say anime, but I guess it's like a Western anime um, of the show. And that's also a complete sci-fi, just complete frame rate, buggy as hell, etc. Also published by Game Mill. Um, so it's one of those things where the more you look into it, um, the more you'll realize and the more you go back over Game Mill's history, they also published Big Rigs Over the Road Racing, largely known oh, as the worst no. game of all time. <laughs> Um, so it's one of those things where I'm going to read a couple of quotes from um, the developers that have been working with the publisher Game Mill. But quick thoughts on the, the state of these games. Well, the first thing you mentioned there was like you were going into the conspiracy brain. So I need to do the venerable JFK, Oliver Stone, anime glasses, Kevin Costner of we're through the looking glass. Here, yeah, we're, we're down, the, um, down the nose. Game, game Mill have a rep and also would have fittingly appropriate name for a company that seems to be cranking <laughs> out licensed titles we're literally calling ourselves the game mill like come on guys game true where's your inspiration mm-hmm. yeah i mean it feels like it's almost like we, we've been hyping up recently kind of like the return of the licensed game era mm-hmm. this feels like it's like the specter of the licensed game era that is coming back to haunt us now and the fact that we can still get people who will be like hey let's go to it's just imagining someone at like amc or whoever owns the walking dead license being like hey I know a guy he can do as a game in one year. You turn it <laughs> over called... in a year, don't worry about it. He's called Game Mill. <laughs> Gregory A. Mill. Yeah, it's one of those <laughs> things where, um, and like I said, I'm not specifically saying that the approach to the Rise of Kong game has been applied to these other titles, but I do think it's a little bit sus that the amount of licensed titles that um, Game Mill have published have all came out in largely the same state. Um, it's one of those things where if you look at The Walking Dead uh, Destinies, that game um, is obviously, obviously suffering from frame rate issues, general performance stuff, but it doesn't feel like even the, the guts of the stealth systems, the combat model, it doesn't really feel like they were given the time to be fleshed out. Um, and it's a shame because that game has a really cool idea at the core of it. The idea that you could um, you know, play as Shane and kill Rick instead at the beginning of the whole saga. Little things like that that you know raised my eyebrows. It's the first four seasons of The Walking Dead that they're retelling. Um, but there is a quote from um, the someone who worked for Iguana Bee that was written up by IGN um, saying that the developers, this is someone who remains anonymous, but they work for Iguana Bee, saying that um, overall the developer has a love-hate relationship with their publisher being Game Mill um, because they are the ones who accept and give the project and Iguana Bee doesn't have the means to develop almost anything on their own because of money. Um, so this just kind of feels like, obviously it's a, um, the state of the business to some degree. It feels like something that a lot of smaller scale developers, they'll take on contract work, they'll turn something over with the hopes of turning over something bigger over time. Um, but again, you, it's, qu- it's quite easy to link those dots. It's quite easy to Charlie Day. It's quite easy to Saga Anderson, as an Alan Wake 2 reference. Um, and bring it all together because it seems like Game Mill are very much living up to their name. The other thing to throw in is that they are responsible for the Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl games. Um, we've had two of which in the last um, three years in total. Um, the original one was in 2021. The sequel came out this year. Apparently the sequel is like, better. It feels like it kind of was just the same game again plus the voice acting. Um, but I remember when that game came out and it was the same with the Nickelodeon Kart Racer game. A lot of fans couldn't believe that they didn't shell out to get the voice actors in. They have in part two, but they didn't in both of those first installments. Um, and that just kind of points to that idea of like how do we get it over the finish line how do we turn it over as fast as possible which like you said ties back into the way that licensed games used to be handled when we had so many of them across the 2000s but 95% of them were absolute toss yeah <laughs> no it's really bad and again the, the anecdote given there from the person who works for uh, be like the, the idea of like oh it's a love-hate relationship because we wouldn't be able to make games on our own mm. uh, without Game Mill's involvement but they are basically putting us in the content mines and making us you know <laughs> pillage our own resources which in itself is also living up to the mafia 
metaphor we we have for 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 Gregory Mill that we came up with just before. Um, it, oh man, it's what a rotten situation for mm-hmm. for those. I mean, the Kong Skull Island speaks for itself. That game is ugly on the surface, and it gets even uglier the closer you scrutinize it. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm shocked. And to be fair, Scott, this might be me throwing shade at Walking Dead fans now. I'm shocked that we're even getting Walking Dead video games really? in 2023. But based on the, the first four seasons mm. as well, it's like I know people have nostalgia for that, but like, oh, come on, it's <laughs> it was so long ago. We can't. It's still been going. Oh. It's still going. I mean, it, it lost me around about season four, season five, um, when they started all the stuff with um, oh the guy with the eye patch. I forget his name. The governor, I think he was called. And um, that's when it started to lose me. But those first four seasons are brilliant. Well, ish. Season two is a bit shaky, even as I start thinking about it. Um, but still, if you were going to do some sort of timeline remix game where you can pick all these different character paths, it would be those original titles. However, it's going to need more than a year or a couple of years or whatever to bring that scope together. Um, it's one of those things where you want to give props to the devs for turning something over at all. Like, it's incredible to get a game over the finish line whatsoever. Um, it doesn't excuse the price points that are attached to these things. Um, I noticed some stuff down at the, the um, Walking Dead game is being sold for £40. And um, The Rise of Kong game is £35. Um, and the Avatar game is £40 um, but you know these are they're not full price titles they're not £70 but at the same time it, you could be spending your money on a million other things like this hey 40 yeah. quid's 40 quid mate mm-hmm. you know you got to make those purchasing investments I picked up Robocop over the weekend Hell for yeah, like did like 50 so you know it's still that that game is great mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. we can get great licensed games you know studios like uh like Tayon are making really good stuff mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know i really hope that this isn't going to be like now that we've got the licensed game kind of comeback going on mm. i hope that this isn't going to be instructive or encouraging to other publishers to basically be like what can we get away with next because even though these games will get mocked quite heavily in the online sphere they're still big IPs, you know, like, I'm, mm. I'm taking the mick out of The Walking Dead. It's still a legacy franchise with a massive following. It was literally the biggest TV show on the planet, like, ten years ago mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so I think it's just a case of them, you know, monopoly or, you know, taking advantage of those IPs and trying to get as much stuff out of it. The Kong one is also interesting because we're having a bit of a Kong moment, I guess yeah, you could say, again, currently. Um, but it's frustrating because it's like, well, you... Like, the people who own these licenses should know better, should do their mm. research better, and want to have game companies do right by their licenses, because the more crappy products you put out, the more you diminish them in, in the video game space. Yeah. So, you, you know, we could, you could get an amazing Kong game. It's, it's You know, the 2005 uh, movie time game, that one's, like, really fun. That Why thing is still, more of those? you know, infinitely better than the most recent Kong game. Like, it's like that, the Peter Jackson one, I think it was Ubisoft that developed that back then. Yes, it was, um, yeah. Yeah, that thing came together a hell of a lot better than anyone ever expected it to be. It's in a couple of our lists recently as well. It's just a game that no one expected to be as good as it was. Um, but yeah, it is an interesting talking point in terms of the return of licensed games because, like, they used to be across the 2000s. Try, uh, the attempt was made to develop the game alongside the film schedule to try and turn the game over in the same amount of time it takes to make a film, which hardly ever came together um, and I feel like across the 2010s the idea of the licensed game or the licensed movie tie-in went to mobile I remember Iron Man 3 being a mobile game after Iron Man I think it was at least Iron Man 1 was on oh, Xbox God, yeah. 360 um, and so it's one of those kind of things where they try to find different ways of at least having something available at launch um, and it was a weird thing with Marvel and the rollout of the MCU we didn't get an Avengers game until 2020 it was long long after um, and Star Wars as well didn't have any movie tie-in games apart from the Lego Force Awakens game and so now that we have this thing where there's the 
upper echelon of production, like the Indiana Jones game that's coming out, um, or the Wolverine game, or whatever. Um, not necessarily movie tie-ins, but still big IP stuff. Um, it seems like someone like Game Mill is like, hey, I can get a hold of these licenses and I can do something to have, like, I can put something on shelves that'll draw some uh, some eyeballs and try and get that way, get in that way. Um, but it just hasn't worked. Another one to throw on the pile here in regards to license stuff, super quick, is uh, Lord of the Rings Gollum. Just another game that was just an absolute tire fire. Um, but when you look into the development of it, um, developers Daedalic were very much not known for um, that type of game. They're sort of a bit more known as a publisher. Um, I absolutely love the Blades of the Shogun games, um, or the game rather, there's DLC and stuff for it. Um, but still, it's just another thing to throw in there. Like that game's being sold for £50, um, seemed like I had a bit of a development hell. Um, the special edition that came out was charging people for voice acting. It's just, it did some of that stuff in regards to trying to bring it all together for the licensing just doesn't work. Yeah, Matt McMuscles did a really, really good, I mean, shout out to yeah. him, he did a really, really good video on his uh, What Happened series mm-hmm. on Lord of the Rings, Gollum, that really dives into, like, yeah, the, the Elvish voice acting DLC <laughs> and how, you know, Data, like, Tidy Team were basically, you know, put, brought into this lofty plan for, like, the Lord of the Rings IP and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, um, you know, it's still a case that publishers are looking at these franchises and licenses and correctly getting dollar signs in their eyes because mm-hmm. these are huge, you know, entertainment you know, properties that can leverage an audience outside of the traditional gaming sphere. Um, but you just got to hope that people... Because the way that Game Mill has been operating, you, kind of, you're right, like, it's kind of been coasting under the radar that we've had these kind of middling, nothing, mm. straight-to-bad releases. And that's probably because, you know, they're not selling exceptionally well, but they're probably selling enough for them to make a little profit. Yeah. And, which is still worth raising here, you know, there's... It's, it's a, there's you know, my heart goes out to the developers that are kind of like working on these games because they're not given, being given the, you know, the um, the facilities to make them, you know, the best things possible. Um, but it's important to kind of, you know, look at them and acknowledge their badness because otherwise yeah. they'll just keep doing this. And then some, you know, casual fan or, ca- you know, casual gamer who happens to like The Walking Dead or happens to like King Kong will go, oh, there's a new Walking Dead and King Kong game. And, <laughs> you know, it's brand new, but maybe I'll get it anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's important to... To highlight the the mischievousness going yeah, on here, and it's worth completely crystallizing the the fact that there's you know you can like you can laugh or whatever at some of the screenshots and some of the animations and whatever. That's not the overall point. The overall point here is hopefully to be able to give the developers or whoever's making those negotiations more ammunition to say, look, look what happens when you don't give us enough time, when you don't allow us to bring these things together, like what happened in the cyberpunk situation. Um, eventually, over time, they were sort of given more, like I said, ammunition to have those conversations and just say, look, we need more time, Arthur, to be able to bring stuff over the finish line. So um, hopefully that's the case going forward with people who are working with Game Mill because the more you look into them as a publisher, the more you realize the amount of games that were pushed around, um, you know, pushed around too too fast. I can't think of what phrase I'm going for. You pushed over the line too fast. You know what I mean. The but, flowers uh, got weevils in it, Scott. They do every single time, but hopefully that stuff works out better going forward. Let's talk about RoboCop anyway. There's, we talked about a little. We touched on a little bit of RoboCop there before, and you've picked up RoboCop Rogue City, um, maybe the most overlooked game of the year. But also, it's getting a little bit of buzz. I think it's being shared around quite a lot as like a one of the um, good showcases of the Unreal Engine Five tech. That game actually looks surprisingly gorgeous. Like nails a whole aesthetic. It's awesome. I'm playing that thing in quality mode as well. I don't. Right. I'm not. I'm not stuck performance mode on that because I think the lighting and reflections are that gorgeous. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, just talk about like a perfect execution of that license in terms of like not only visually replicating the look and feel of Paul Verhoeven's movie mm-hmm. but getting the tone getting the satire getting the social commentary and also the kind of campy hyper violence that was in that original movie it's one of the best like like for what it is like there are a lot you know there, there are some rough edges to it mm. but they're, they're more than acceptable because the vision that has been executed here 
is really, really compelling. <laughs> I'm having a great time with it. I picked it up on Friday as my like post-night out recovery game to play nice. on the Sunday. Um, and I've been just having a lovely time. It's it, well acted, well performed, um, lots of fun different Robocop activities. I love mm-hmm. getting to like, as much as I enjoy shooting people's heads off, um, it's also fun when people are like, hey, Robo, can you help us with this birthday card? And I'm like, yes, I would like to sign the card. It's like, <laughs> it's it's the ultimate cool Robo simulator. I'm, I'm having a great time. Wasn't expecting, yeah, that level of variety to what you're doing. I thought it would be more of like an on-rail shooter type thing. I didn't expect them to do these sort of little mini open world segments. Like, they really surprised me. And the amount of detail that's in there, like I said, it's being shared a lot for the environmental side of things. But, like, the, the amount of different mini little quests that you can pick up. And they're quite nicely, satisfyingly done as well. I mean, very simple stuff. Go here, shoot some dudes. Go here, resolve a thing. Go over here, solve a murder. Or whatever it is. Um, but, and it's, I wish IGN had never memed this phrase, but it does make you feel like Robocop. Um, and I think that really works. I've not seen the Robocop. I've only ever seen Robocop 1 anyway. Um, I've never seen that weird remake they did, and I've never seen Robocop 2, and I haven't seen Robocop 1 in ages. But, like, overall, it's definitely working for me. It's interesting because Robocop 1, like, absolute masterpiece. Um, You have the weirdly incongruous situation where Robocop kind of becomes, like, a children's icon, like, being achieved (laughs) like a superhero. So you get, Mm -hmm. like, you get, I know there was a cartoon, you get a lot of action figures. So when Robocop 2 comes out, the studio really, like, kind of, you know, uh, lessens the violent tone, makes it a little bit... like There's still some horrifying imagery in Robocop 2, <laughs> right. but it's definitely more action-y, more kid-friendly, and that kind of gets taken to a ridiculous degree with Robocop 3, which is mm. not worth mentioning or discussing. Um, right. But this very much, even though it's set in between Robocop 2 and Robocop 3, um, this game is, is spiritually the most in-tune thing that I've had Robocop since the original that like it feels like it's it's a part of the universe that Verhoeven sculpted like it, yeah. it feels very much in keeping with all of that my thing as well is like I miss games that know exactly what the F they are like it yeah. was just like I, you can tell I mean obviously this is from I think it's Taegon is the developer I forget Taegon that. yeah Taegon um, they did the Terminator Resistance game which was solid enough but that also knew what the F it was it was just that, at least to me I didn't think that, I thought the combat could have been more satisfying but I thought they nailed the um, the sound design and like you know like they did the Terminator DLC where you play as a Terminator I was like it's really really fun and I love like that idea of you can just see a bunch of fans as devs putting together the thing that they want and they know what it is and then robocop is like the perfect execution on exactly what it's supposed to be um and it's like like you said they get the tone down the writings down you have a few little branching bits of dialogue where you can choose to maybe smash a thug's radio or whatever it is and uh, <laughs> i absolutely did that that was, me that too. was very fun <laughs> and it's like even like the look of the thugs they're called the torch heads and they have like they look at the dude from prodigy they've got like two bits of hair like coming yeah. up on the side well this is kind of not to interject this is kind of mm. a bit of the frank miller coming through with it because frank miller who again anyone who's listening maybe not be aware he wrote the dark knight returns batman year one was quite a hit influence Sin City as well um, mm. the, the thugs in this well Frank Miller wrote part of Robocop 2 and he was also wrote Robocop 3 and they very much remind me of like the mutants from The Dark Knight oh. Returns and stuff so kind of like that kind of tonal thing going on there but yeah sorry yeah. Not to put in. no no totally that, that was in so much stuff back then like mm-hmm. the idea that like hoodlums just crossed over with like crazy haircuts and they've got spiky belts and like mm-hmm. some weird trinkets on their wrists or whatever um, but yeah overall it's like uh, what do you think of the shooting because it's like they deliberately go for like a slow movement style um, but then it's like and it, the way that you aim when you look at gameplay for it it looks worse than it actually feels because it looks like you're just sort of moving really leadenly around these mm-hmm. areas but I think it is actually quite satisfying no it's really fun I do have a slight issue I feel like there's a little bit of auto aim pull which can mm. be annoying with moving targets otherwise i think yep. it works great the, the the conclusion that i've come to here you mentioned the sound design before 
is that um, I'm a sucker for licensed games that get the sound design right. If, if I'm playing a Terminator game and you get that thunk, 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 like laser noise down perfectly, yeah. or I'm playing an Aliens game and you get the pulse rifle noise properly, I'm probably going to have a good time because I enjoy mm. listening to those sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, other stuff can fall to the wayside in terms of detail. And, and you know, some of the, the um, you know, GameSpot do their um, armory kind of series where they look at, like, the oh, guns yeah. and then they, they get, um, I forget his name, but he works at the Royal Armories where he, he, gets, he compares the, the guns in the game to the actual, you know, real-life weapons. They did a video on Robocop where he was kind of scrutinizing a lot of the, ac- the inaccuracies going on mm. there, but it doesn't really matter when like the sound and presentation is so good like mm-hmm. if you walk around you get the dunks 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 like yeah, you feel yeah. like robocop again not to belabor the the, but the, the even things yeah. like the the punch like the punch is the heaviest punch ever and people go flying whatever the last dude is that you kill in a room gets a slow-mo finish which i love i want yeah. that in everything and it's like any any point you can grab someone by like the throat and throw them across the uh, across the room and that's that has the ragdoll kick in when they smash against some part of the environment like i love that stuff so much have you um have you picked up the perk that has excessive gore not yet so no. yeah if you if you upgrade the auto not Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fine enough, you can get a, an ability that, like, you can up, like, like you can change it to, like, a full auto weapon, which I haven't done because I prefer to be burst fire. Mm-hmm. You can, like, upgrade the damage and, like, you know, the, the accuracy and stuff, but there is one which literally lets you have more vibrant, meaty brain explosions. <laughs> Which is like just absolutely fantastic. It knows, like you say, it knows what it is and knows what it's doing. Um, And it was great for me because I've been looking forward to Alan Wake 2 all year. I haven't picked it up yet. Um, And I was going to get it, but then I thought, if I'm going to be really tired and vulnerable on a Sunday, what game do I want to be playing? Do I want to be playing Spooky Nightmare Alan Wake? (laughs) Or can I just play Robocop and be the coolest dude ever? Yeah. (laughs) 
No, they completely nailed it. And we mentioned before, like, talking about, like, um, you know, licensed games and the turnaround time and everything. This is an example of what to do. Like, this is something that you can hold up and be like, <clears throat> like I said, they know their scope and scale. It's not trying to be this big 80-hour thing that you're never going to finish. Like, it is a pretty solid, let's say, 20-hour at the most game if you want 100% stuff. Um, but like I said, it knows exactly what it is. And I, I miss that in games so much. At a certain visual level, it feels like it then needs to be humongous um, to justify the amount of money it takes to make something look pretty. Whereas in this case, it just looks awesome and you'll actually get through it, um, which is cool. Next news item down is a follow-up to something that we covered earlier. I mentioned it at the very start of the podcast, but The Last of Us 2 Remastered is real um, and we'll be getting a host of new upgrades and they're going to be charging $10 slash £10 for the upgrade. Um, and that gets you various as they call them, graphical improvements. I genuinely don't think anyone can tell. Like, there's a few side-by-side images doing the rounds. It looks exactly the same. Like, there'll be a... Um, the difference, I assume, is the difference between 1440p, which is what the PlayStation 4 version runs at, and then native 4K, like 2160 or whatever it is. Um, but the frame rate's already 60. Maybe we'll get a 120, but whatever. But yeah, graphical improvements. Um, they're going to be including some deleted levels um, from the original Last of Us Part Two, um, and they're going to be doing director's commentaries. And then the coolest thing, at least for me, is the new roguelike mode. And um, they've put a whole different mode in here where you can play as a bunch of different characters and they've shown Dina and Lev so far that mode's called No Return and they say that you'll be choosing your path through a series of randomized encounters so I like that as a way of encouraging just just indulging in the combat model and then seeing how far you can get um I feel like overall as well, uh, The Last of Us has replaced The Walking Dead as the go-to zombie franchise of the day. And so you might as well have these things. Maybe there'll be leaderboards. Maybe that'll sort of soften people towards Last of Us multiplayer um, or encourage them to think about Last of Us in a different way. And so it's fine. I was messaging your friend of mine, Josh Brown, who said they've got me. He said he wasn't yeah. that initially that bothered when he looked at the release um, or the details <laughs> and stuff. Me. He was like, they got me again. He's like, I'm going to have to get another version of this, um, which I'll probably end up doing as well. I'll slap myself on the wrist as I hand the money over to them. Them, but god damn they've got me again <laughs> just when i'm out they pull me <laughs> back in they hook me back in um because i don't think you didn't have you played last of us too i can't remember no so it came out at a point in the pandemic where my brain did not want to work and i didn't want to totally process fair. revenge and sadness <laughs> um so it's still the it's, thing it's still on my to-do list which is just sacrilege at this point because i've had more than enough time to actually go mm. back and play through it but maybe this upgrade will you know give me the fresh impetus to, to actually go and and check it out. And I think it's interesting, you know, obviously if, if you don't own The Last of Us Part 2 already, you'll be getting charged full price to actually mm. like play it on PS5. Um, but again, the, the thing that I'm interested in here, the roguelike mode sounds really, really cool. I love yeah. that idea and how do you execute that. Um, the interesting thing here is the, which kind of, I'm kind of, I love and I'm also kind of weirdly apprehensive about, is the idea of including cut levels, which I believe they're not fully finished, which is why they're including no. um, commentary, the commentary for them. Yeah. How, how do you feel about that? Because on the one hand, I think it's a great way of giving you a window into the developmental process. That's a really fun thing to take a look at. Mm-hmm. You know, treat it like a special feature on like a on a DVD or a Blu-ray. Totally. Um, but I'm also kind of weird, weird of like, oh, you, you're throwing these cut levels in, but they're not finished, but you still... Play. I, it's I don't know. It's it's kind of like one of those cool opportunity things, but context out of context, maybe it seems a little bit weird. I don't know. I I'll take anything that shows actual creating of a video game, and I think I'm gonna do a whole video on this. I want to do a whole video on the most important games, or the most important game of this year that no one's gonna be talking about, and it's called The Making of Karateka, um, and it's from Digital Extremes. They're a, um, a dev company that have been doing some work with Atari. They've basically been delving into the Atari archives, um, and and well, I guess in Karateka case it was a different dude but either way they also did Atari 50 last year um, which was a really good like talking heads documentary but you got to play the games they were talking about alongside as they
they brought them up and then it would then they would talk about different versions of the game and you would play all the different versions alongside it and you would like get a, such a good understanding of like oh and then we thought what if it was this and what if you know what if we change the character to look like this or whatever and i love that stuff so much i feel like there's so much the more that can be done about the making of video games and letting the average person understand how much goes into them so it depends how it does play i guess um but i imagine with these they'll polish them up to a point where like the nav meshes will be solid you're not gonna be fall fall through the world or whatever it is but with the developer's commentary um i hope that all of that stuff goes towards you know is in the same direction of eventually getting across just how much of a herculean task making this stuff is um and like i said i can't shout out atari 50 and the making of karateka enough um karateka is like the original rotoscoped game mm. where the dude that animated it um actually like took photos of his dad running through a forest and then mapped that to the code to, to look like a guy was running it was like mind-blowing for like the time i love stuff like that so um yeah the more they can show things off the better and i think um director's commentaries or developers commentaries in games i feel like is a way untapped thing yes um, and a few different teams or studios have tried them where like you activate points on a map and then you have to kind of stand there awkwardly like an audio diary while it runs through because you don't want to cut it off by the next cutscene or the next combat encounter but i think or i hope there's a way to do it um, and i think naughty dog will find a way to do it as well i think i think they've done it before but i could be wrong either on Naughty on either on uncharted um, or The Last of Us Part 1. I'm sure they did some sort of dev diary thing before, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But either way, um, no, I think that, I think it's really cool. I just hope that they... I hope it feels finished, I guess. It doesn't feel like something that they just chucked in there because they need to try and justify releasing the same game after three years again. Yeah, so, um, absolutely. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was one of those things that was inevitable and The Last of Us 2 show uh, films next year. So it seems like they're still all in on The Last of Us. Even if the reception to this was a bit negative, it was a bit like, oh my God, you're doing this again. Um, um, it's very like Rockstar in GTA 5. Um, next news item down sucks, but it's Microsoft hiring the literally former, sorry, the literally fired former OpenAI CEO Sam Altman to lead a new AI development division across Microsoft. This comes after Microsoft also entered into a partnership with generative AI startup InWorld AI to increase the amount of AI used in game development overall. Apparently, the idea is to create an AI co-pilot to help generate stories, worlds, NPC dialogue, etc. to quote-unquote accelerate game developer creativity, Ewan has died. Game developer creativity reduce complexity and enhance player experiences. It's worth saying that right now at the outset, because this open AI thing literally just happened yesterday or the day before, um, across the weekend, uh, they are two separate things. Like you've got the open AI dude leading this AI charge across Microsoft overall, and you have the other thing, um, the in-world AI being more applied to gaming. So either way, though, Microsoft as an entity, as a company, as an owner of Xbox, are all for AI, which is a that's a hell of a stance to take. <sighs> Do you, want, do you want some oh, video? Do you want some man. AI NPCs, mate? Dog man, can they just <laughs> not? Can they just not? Can they just stop? Like this is it. it the most insidious aspect of this, Scott, is that they're approaching it from like, uh, oh, this is gonna make people's lives easier. You know, yeah. you're gonna, you know, the AI is not your, not your enemy, man. The AI is here to help. <laughs> he's our buddy, Al I. Like he's gonna just, you know, he's gonna help you out with as you as you make game dev stuff. He's a pilot, man. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Like the idea that any person involved in narrative in games who is actually a storyteller in the gaming space, mm. and I mean specifically people who write dialogue, who write. Scripts, um, would actually want an AI 
to do their job for them is mm. ridiculous. There are maybe people, I mean, there are actually people who are involved in game dev who want to use AI as a tool to replace different contingents of their workforce. We've seen it with um, the, is it the rivals, the, 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 the finals. Yeah, the finals, yeah. Um, we've seen that before where the main guy from there was basically talking about how we didn't even need voice actors, man. We just like, you know, we just threw in the, just threw in the AI, it's totally fine. <laughs> it you know, sounds horrendous. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And I, I really do, like, I understand that AI in certain contexts can be a useful tool. You know, mm-hmm. we, we use um, certain aspects. I know you can use it to, like, uh, clear, clean up audio, for instance, or you can, yeah. like, use yeah. it to, like, you know, maybe help in image editing. I don't mean creating new images. I mean, like, literally editing no, images and parts, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but anything that goes down to this, where it's literally a case of we're stealthily trying to replace your job and act like it's your mate, is, yeah. is just the most insidious stuff and I wish they would stop lying to us about it. Do you think it's like a weird, it's because it's like, it's not like we're developing AI to absolutely maximize the most sort of business parts of a of an endeavor. It's very much trying to make AI to recreate or to replace the most creative parts of an endeavor. Is this just fueled by age old business minded people um, realizing or acknowledging the power that creatives have over them because they do need creative works to be there. They cannot fundamentally create them without those people. Um, and say, hey, if we could just AI generate this creative stuff, all those pesky creatives over there would just have to bow down and all we could just turn stuff over make all the money it's and it would make tr- the perfect thing it's treating the creative process like it's a math problem like yes. you know we see it's, it's, it's a cultural issue you know we see it with the, the greater emphasis on like science technology and maths in our schools in the united kingdom that's been a big thing where the humanities have been mm. kind of pushed to the side and been you know kind of demonized as like useless degrees or topics or subjects or whatever mm. which uh, is just stupid um but yeah no i do think i think it's i think it's literally a case of like there are there are people who have problem solving mindsets and they treat creativity as a problem to solve and not a thing they can work with and learn or work mm. around that is the thing that frustrates me the most about this because i think it's it's you know game development again I'm, i could be talked out my arse here because i'm not a game developer but i feel like game development should be a collaborative process where you're mm. like uplifting each other you know you're really working on um with different departments and you know collaborating to create something that is you know enjoyable and you know you're proud of with this it's a case of you are seeking to undermine people in your work Workforce. That is the thing that that really frustrates me. You know, we shouldn't be looking at ways to get around writing. We shouldn't be looking at ways to do that. If it's an AI tool that's going to like make you replicate one of the same object over and over again, like yeah. trees, then totally yes. fine. Because I doubt that most people who are you know level artists want to spend their entire day planting trees over and over again. Yeah, that's an example of where artificial intelligence may be handy. Or let them you know focus on different stuff and speed up and expedite the development process. But for stuff like writing dialogue scripts and like <laughs> quest lines or whatever, you're having a laugh. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, the thing is, as well, like right now, it's not like there are any AI born creations where we pointed and go, oh my God, that thing's so stimulating. Oh my God, that thing is so satisfying. It's, I would never have thought of that. That's really cool. Like, that just hasn't happened. Like, the um, the voiceover in the finals, it's the announce packs, announcers that are AI in that game. And they sound horrible. Like, the, the actual stitching together of the various clips that it's generating sound terrible um, overall. And it, like I said, it's not like there's anything down the pike that anyone's like, remotely looking forward to. Um, one example that's been given, um, 
overall for this is the idea of open world cities and the idea of like, oh, if all the AI was the NPCs overall, they're all talking to each other. Wouldn't that replicate the idea of some something like a whole populace living in that space? And I'm like, yeah, maybe, but I don't think you would get anything remotely as close um, as the the like the, some of the writing that then became signature writing in GTA 3 Vice City San Andreas. How many random NPC barks do people hear that to this day are identifiable as when they came out with those games? And it's it's also stupid as well because you literally have a case if you've got AI generated civilian dialogue that's stuff you still have to monitor and make sure nothing awful is getting through mm. you know it, there's no there's, like AI can't even get hands right yet man how do we expect no. them to actually converse <laughs> with each other like it's one of those where I'm like Stop, yeah, just stop trying to replace people who who shouldn't. This isn't a problem to solve. Like, if you want to talk about sensible implementation of AI, then use it for things that will enhance stuff, not actually like you know fundamentally undermine people's yeah. jobs. And especially when it doesn't even look right. And the, the most concerning thing about this is that people who are like championing AI as a storytelling tool, as an ability to you know create pictures. Um, you know, drawings or, you know, stories, articles or whatever. It, it, it's the whole idea that they're, they're, they're seemingly unaware of how bad it looks, reads, yeah. and yeah. is. Um, and that that is just shocking. <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, it's going to get worse. Well, I'm going to get worse before it gets better, but I just, the amount of money that's been put into this stuff. I should mention as well, I said at the start, as I started covering, you know, started mentioning the story, um, Sam Altman, um, the dude that was fired from OpenAI, um, apparently was fired over not conveying the reality of the business to the shareholders in terms of the promises made for what AI could do. And that's still a whole thing. It only happened across the last few days anyway. So that whole idea of what AI can even bring to the table is still blurry and unable to be clarified. It reminds me a lot of the NFT stuff, where it was just like everybody on board nft is the new thing all the money goes in and it's like right now that we're all here what the hell is this all my apes are gone (laughs) yeah exactly and it's just like (laughs) they are all gone and that whole market's now collapsed the whole endeavor was pointless um and maybe that'll be the case with ai stuff as well like i said i am yet to see anything that comes from an ai born program that remotely feels stimulating or satisfying or anything the way that art should be do you not feel like uh del spooner from irobot right now can a (laughs) robot create a work of art just, I mean, yeah, eventually it'll get like that, where it's just everyone's either going to be completely siding. I mean, that's the whole apocalyptic view anyway, is that it goes one way or the other. But I think being in our video games is a, is a first step in that direction. Final story from Eurogamer, uh, reporting a huge leak surrounding various games that appeared on a developer's LinkedIn, um, which has now been deleted. Um, but this developer worked for the Lost Boys Initiative. Apparently they're a team within Gearbox, and they were listed as helping out on three games. I want you to react to all three of these as I go. <laughs> first game, Borderlands 4. Ooh. Teen, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands 2. Yeah. A new Brothers in Arms game. Ah! <laughs> oh, dear God. Yeah, so um, IGN note that this comes after um, Embracer actually laid off 713 people, 512 developers, 202 non-developers, as well as 191 external developers, and various projects that were they were all working on have been apparently notably affected across the board. But... Um, nothing specific has been mentioned in regards to these three games. And like I said, the post has been deleted. Um, so it's Borderlands 4, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands 2, and a new Brothers in Arms game. I think but Brothers in Arms by far the most potential here. Yeah, I mean, Brothers in Arms games, they're like the best World War II games ever made, in my mm. view. They, uh, If you ever wanted something that was spiritually in keeping with what Band of Brothers achieved in the early 2000s, Brothers in Arms, literally clues in the title, was very much mm. taken from that kind of spirit. Um, the most historically accurate single-player World War II games that I've that I've actually played through mm-hmm. is like a you know third-person shooter fan, and also Brothers in Arms: uh, Hell's, Highway, Hell's Highway, which yeah. was the the last one that came out for the Xbox 360. And uh, I think it was was it a 360 exclusive? I can't remember now if it was on uh, PS. It was, it 
gone through sixty. It's, it's thankfully yeah. that game is on the backwards compatible. Yeah. I went through that when I was in the pandemic. Yeah. yeah, that one's like tactically speaking, that is one of the most immersive. It kind of feels like a classic Ghost Recon game. If you ever played like mm. Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter, where you have your squad of dudes, you can issue them with commands like suppress that bar and then we'll flank and take them out. Just a mm. you know a, a more considered kind of detailed World War II shooting experience. And if they're able to translate that experience and not kind of pivot to you know generic call of duty scripted action um <laughs> then i would be very excited because i think the brothers in arms series is vastly underrated yeah i was gonna say like i said shout out to hell's highway on xbox if you have an xbox go find that game it'll be available for like three pounds or four dollars or whatever the hell it is um but yeah those things are really cool i miss tactical shooters like i remember when we had that wave of ghost recon rainbow six even when they rebooted xcom in the early 2010s there was that third person uh, tactile shooter version of xcom where you were telling the squad where to go and some of that stuff was in mass effect as well like hybridize that stuff more you tend to either get turn-based stuff now um or like over the top like, you know top-down strategic stuff or you get your first person shooters your third person shooters give me more stuff like that like i don't know if that just is a, is a harder thing to bring together in the modern day because of the amount of the parameters there but why not i guess it seems like these guys are hopefully going to try again that's my bread and butter scott like that to mm. me is like the golden age of like my xbox childhood was the days and the tom clancy brand was like going strong we had ghost driven advanced warfighter ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter 2, which had both a great single player and multiplayer co-op kind of thing mm -hmm. where you can literally team up with up to like 16 players and do like massive missions together. It was really, really well done. Um, <laughs> and then Rainbow Six Vegas, obviously, you know, stuff like Terrorist Hunt and like the single player aspect of that. Yeah, we, we need another tactical gaming moment again because yeah. I, you know, I, I, I do miss those kind of more considered shooting experiences because Ghost Recon and, and you know Rainbow Six nearly did with Rainbow Six Patriots it kind of went down that more kind of linear Call of Duty route mm. with a Ghost Recon Future Soldier um, and we never really got back to what that was so mm. if Brothers in Arms can lead the way and hopefully it won't it will actually be like the series that it was <laughs> and won't just be another Medal of Honor reboot type thing well, then yeah you know where we are at the minute the whole I feel like the, the boots on the ground the World War 2 shooter sort of just oscillates every few years like uh, Call of Duty hadn't, hasn't done World War 2 for a few years now um, Battlefield did it with Battlefield 4 Five. and then it was like five and yeah. then it was like back to all the future stuff with 2042 um so it's that that entire genre is kind of unserved at the minute there's not really a go-to world war shooter right now unless it's hell let loose and i mean again, unless, I, I was just thinking that i was like you could do hell let loose i'm really that game deserves so much more eyeballs i'm really really eyeballs. worried about that game though given the team 17 layoffs that have occurred recently we recently mm. lost uh, the game's community manager um one back medic which is like it, it's just there's kind of like a lot of anxiety over what the state of hell let loose will be going forward However, I will always fly the flag for World War II uh, video games because there is a lot of space to cater to kind of a historically-minded crowd, really make it authentic, kind of actually commit to the bit, unlike Call of Duty Vanguard, where it was a case of we're going to give you, like, <laughs> gunsmith in World War II and you can create weapons that don't exist. Oh, God, I yeah. want something that just, you know, if you're going to set a game in a given time period... You know, commit. Don't don't treat the the historical parameters as restrictions. You know, use them to mm. make a more interesting experience, which is what the original Brothers in Arms games did so well, and also what Hell at Least does so well. Yeah, a million percent. Like the uh, Sniper Elite series is awesome for that as well, for the various ones that are set sort of during World War stuff. Um, but yeah, for now, this has been the wind up. I've been Scott Tilford. That's been you and Parson. We 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 we. We warp and we'll thank you very much for sticking with us. We'll catch you throughout the week. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.